We have been in a series in Exodus, and we've been looking at this story that becomes uh, kind of this lens through which we come to understand God, his, his engagement in the world, the mission of God, his invitation for people to participate in it, and his invitation towards uh, covenant relationship, depth and meaningful relationship with himself. And so Exodus is a central theme throughout scripture and in our lives today. It, it describes the work of God and our invitation into it. And today we come to kind of one of the pinnacle stories in the book of Exodus, uh, the plagues in Egypt. And we're going to go through the first nine today. Next week we're out in the park, you might remember. Uh, And the following week we'll do that tenth plague and and hone in on some of the depth behind that. But today we're going to look at Exodus chapters seven through ten. That's a huge block, so I'm not going to read it all to you. Uh, But we're going to talk through and explore what's happening in this text. Before we get there, I want to I want to cover the back. Story. Some of you have been here throughout the series and, and are familiar, uh, but it's important to remember the narrative that, that, that comes before and, and uh, gives depth and meaning to this story in Exodus. So uh, God lovingly created the world, invited people into intimate relationship with himself. Humanity rebelled time and time again, and the rebellion had spread throughout the world, but God would not give up on humanity. And so God calls this man named Abram, uh, kind of a nobody from nowhere, uh, an old man with an old wife who had no children, and he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to make you into a great nation that that my blessings will flow through your family and into this world, right? God makes this covenant relationship with a man named, whose name becomes Abraham. He has a son, Isaac, who has a son, Jacob. Jacob's son, Joseph, is sold into slavery in Egypt, uh, but eventually uh, saves the 70 other members of his family, uh, bringing them to Egypt, where this Israelite family, Abraham's family, is able to prosper, and they begin to grow in numbers Soon a pharaoh, uh, sometime later, a pharaoh who does not know Jacob and does not know the Israelite people uh, comes into power. And fearful of this growing nation that is Israel within Egypt there, he enslaves the people. And for some 400 years, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. Uh, They've lost sight of God and they've turned to other gods and other things. uh, But God has been working behind the scenes, even in the midst of this slavery. He's raised up a man named Moses in the house of the Pharaoh, uh, who then flees the country, was a shepherd out in the deserts when God came to him in a burning bush, and he said, Moses, you, in spite of your insufficiencies, will be my agent to bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses brings all the excuses and arguments he can, disqualifies himself in many proper ways, and yet God says, no, I'm calling you. He sends Moses and Aaron into Egypt, and today they, uh, they approach Pharaoh. Today in chapter 7, they approach Pharaoh for the first time to say, let my people go. So Moses and Aaron um, are, are going to walk into the presence of this Pharaoh of Egypt, who is kind of the personification of evil in the world, right? He is uh, corrupt, he is cruel, he has enslaved the nation. Last week when Sarah spoke about, um, last week when Sarah spoke, she talked about um, how when, when they asked uh, to let the people go, um, Pharaoh tightens his grip. 
his cruelty increases, and these people he's enslaved, he puts even more unreasonable requests upon. He is the personification of evil in the world. And yet, a merciful God, we'll see today, chooses not to snap his finger and wipe the nation from the earth, right? God chooses instead to go to Pharaoh and show signs and wonders, bring five plagues inviting him to turn turn from his ways, to change his mind, and to let the people go. You know, evil is a problem that we face in the world today, and we ask many questions of it. The psalmist, uh, he, he asks, how long, God, will this evil remain? In our Western modes of thinking, often the question is why, God, right? Uh, we often ask a different question than the psalmist does. Um, we ask, why would you allow evil in the world? Why could this be? But we're, we're stuck uh, in this paradox of there's this evil in this world, and, and it doesn't make sense, and it kind of enrages me, and it kind of makes me question things about God. But we'll find in the text today, as God deals with evil in the world, how we kind of question some of his motives and some of the things that, that he will bring upon Egypt. Why, why would he, he be cruel in those ways, right? And so we find ourselves in this interesting paradox. Uh, a God who will confront evil, a God whose mission is to bring people out of bondage and into freedom, um, and a God who will take action here in this story today. Exodus chapter 7, uh, Moses and Pharaoh approach, um, I'm sorry, Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh. And uh, they say, let our people go. And Pharaoh says, well, show me a sign. And so they do. Aaron throws down his staff and it turns into a snake. Here's the interesting twist in the story. Pharaoh's magicians throw down their staffs and perform the same sign. Uh, the, the cool part is then that Aaron's uh, snake eats the other snakes and the magicians are left wandering away to find new staffs, I guess, right? Um, but, but they duplicate uh, the sign. And so Pharaoh is not impressed. He says, your people will not go. Uh, the first plague comes in the form of, of the water of the Nile turned to blood. And Aaron raises his staff out over the water and it turns to blood. And again, the magicians duplicate this with their own water. And so we find Pharaoh here in this moment, um, who's, uh, he doesn't, it, the text says he doesn't take to heart the things that he is seeing quite yet. He will in a moment. But we find uh, Pharaoh in this interesting place where he's confronted with which power will I trust? What kind of power will I seek in this world? We've got the, the power of this Israelite God, the, the God who calls himself I am, and then we've got the power of these magicians that so far seemingly are able to duplicate the things that he's seeing. We find ourselves asking the same question of uh, what power will I kneel to in this world, right? Uh, we can kneel to the, to the power of our careers and our success and our finances. We can yield to the power of so many different influences. We can pursue our own power uh, or uh, we're invited to consider a powerful God who invites us into meaningful relationship. You see, Pharaoh is stuck in this place uh, where he's consumed by his own greed and desires and his power uh, and, and pulled in many different directions. 
the Israelite people, I, th- I thought this was really interesting as I was reading this this week, the Israelite people themselves will uh, be, find themselves in the same circumstance and asking these same questions somewhere down the road. Uh, and Joshua, a uh, prophet, comes and he confronts them. They've turned to other gods, and they've forgotten the God that will rescue them out of Egypt, right? And they've turned to other things. And Joshua comes to, to them, and he, sa- he says, what f- it, it reflects this crux that we find uh, Pharaoh in. What power will you trust? Where will you turn to? Where will you bow your knee? And Joshua says to them this in one of my favorite passages, Joshua twenty four fourteen. Uh, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors that, that your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the the Amorites in whose lands you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You know, this kind of speaks to that challenge of evil in the world and why can there be evil and why can there be hurt and all this corruption. But you see here Joshua laying out for the people the invitation of God. Uh, you are invited to choose me, serve me, but the choice ultimately is yours, of whom you will serve today. But a man named Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We will bow a knee to this power. Well, Pharaoh goes the other way and, of course, does not bend a knee to God. And so uh, they've turned water to blood. Uh, The second plague, they bring frogs upon the land. And again, Pharaoh's magicians, um, they duplicate this task. Uh, But the land is covered. The households are filled and the streets covered with frogs. And uh, in in chapter 9, verse 8, Moses says this to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Pharaoh says, uh, I'll leave you this honor. Just tell me when and I'll pray and the frogs will go away. And so Pharaoh, Pharaoh relents. He says, yeah, I'll let your people go into the desert tomorrow. Just pray that the frogs go away. But the moment the frogs are gone, the moment Moses is called out to God and the frogs leave, um, Pharaoh goes back on his word, right? And, and decides, I will not let these people go. The third plague is that of gnats. Um, and uh, Aaron strikes the dust of the ground and gnats come up out of the dust throughout the land. And at this point, there's an interesting twist in the story if you go back and read it later. Uh, these magicians that so far, with one sign and two plagues, have duplicated them. They lean into Pharaoh and they say, this is the finger of God. They lean into Pharaoh and they say, this power is beyond ours. And at this point, you'd think Pharaoh might start to think, well, maybe I need to change my ways and rethink how I'm going to deal with the situation. But of course, he doesn't. He is a hard and cruel man, the personification of evil, a man who deals with opposition by bringing more oppression and cruelty into situations. After the gnats come, flies that come, and they, they ruin the land. And, and as the flies destroy his land and swarm everything, Pharaoh says, uh, I'll let your people go on their three-day journey to, uh, to go away. But again, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and as the flies leave, he goes back on his promise. 
And in the fifth plague, um, all of the Egyptian livestock die. So at, at this point in the story, the land is ruined, the livestock are dead. I mean, what does Egypt have left to hold on to except maybe Pharaoh's pride and stubbornness? It says, yet Pharaoh's heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. It makes me question the character of this Pharaoh. It's one thing uh, we've seen throughout history, and it's terrible, but, but we've seen people enslave other people right? People that are different than ourselves, nations that we're at war with, uh, have been enslaved. But Pharaoh takes a step beyond that. And he demonstrates in himself this willingness to allow his own people to suffer devastation, right? He will not relent no matter the circumstances. He will bring oppression on others. He will allow it to be brought on his own people. I'm curious about this character. Why in the world would Pharaoh be willing to operate in that way? And I only have to speculate. We're not told specifically. uh, But I think it has to come down to pride and a pursuit of power. Um, those are the two things that come to my mind, that pride would not let him back down and his absolute desire for a stronghold on power in his nation will cause, cause him to make the kinds of decisions that he does. So after the p- fifth plague, uh, the death, death of the livestock uh, come boils on all of the people and all of the animals of Egypt. Of course, at this point, the plagues are not happening uh, out in the region where the Israelites live, uh, but are just happening to the Egyptian people. And we find ourselves at the turning point in the story, and this is a tricky one. In the beginning of the story, God said to Moses, he said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart that he may see my power right? And this idea of how is it fair, I'll just name the question that probably has been on many of our minds as we've read through this story. How is it fair that Pharaoh or this nation would be punished when God's hardening his heart, right? Um, and I don't want to explain that question away. I don't want to make it like simple like, oh no, don't, don't even worry about that. I think it's good to have these questions and to wonder these things and to spend seasons of life uh, digging into these and asking these questions. But I do want to uh, kind of frame that, that question a little bit in the flow of the text. So Pharaoh, again, the embodiment of evil, right? He is an evil man. He was not this good-hearted guy who just loved his people and loved nations around him that God chose to harden, right? I think that's really significant that we think about when we're considering uh, this text, um, the embodiment of evil. Um, and, and, and God comes to this nation, a nation that worships many different gods. And I'm not going to go into detail on this point, but God comes to battle the gods of Egypt. Um, in each of the plagues, uh, God is showing dominance over the God of the sun in the ninth plague, over the God of the harvest, right? Uh, so over and over, God is demonstrating powers that neither the magicians in the nation hold uh, or power that the gods of Egypt have no ability to stop. So God comes battling uh, the gods of Egypt as well as punishing uh, a wicked man and a wish, wicked nation. And at this point in the sixth plague, I think we begin to see the shift from Pharaoh, who in the first five, it says over and over, he hardened his heart, his heart was hard, uh, to this idea that, that God will harden his heart. And um, we see that the, the punishment phase, the consequences for the action of this man and this nation have begun. And yet, God in his amazing mercy, in the beginning of this text, uh, it says, um, uh, 
I will give Pharaoh opportunity to relent, right? To change his ways, to let my people go, knowing that he will not, right? So God from the beginning knew, and what's fascinating to me is that God, for, for one sign and the first five plagues, God continues to say, you have a way out. Let my people go, right? And, and I, love this, um, I, I love this idea in apply to my life because let me just say, I need those five chances sometimes in life, you know, where God continues to be merciful, where he continues to demonstrate grace and invite me to new opportunity rather than allowing me to experience the consequence of action. And there's even a richer depth and meaning in Jesus and his sacrifice that we are released from the consequences of our sins. Uh, but we'll talk about that more in the 10th plague next week. Um, so, so at this point in the story, God begins to bend Pharaoh's evil towards his own redemptive purposes. Does that make sense? Pharaoh has demonstrated his evil, his wickedness, uh, and God is going to lean into that, allowing that evil man and his evil ways to actually lead towards God's redemptive purposes for his people and, and his demonstration of his power in the world. So God will play this out to the full extent, demonstrating his power over the course of these next five things, demonstrating his power over the gods of Egypt, punishing a wicked man and a wicked nation. Uh, in fact, um, in uh, I think chapter 9, verse 13 is really fascinating. I, I chose this as the part we needed to read here because um, then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this has been the pattern throughout. God says, go and confront him and say these things. Uh, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now, listen to this, he even speaks to his own mercy. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the face of the earth. But I have raised you up, or it could be translated, or I've spared you. Uh, I have raised you up or spared you for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the earth. You still set your sense, yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from, from the day it was founded until now. I think it's fascinating. God demonstrates in here, um, says to, to Moses, or to Pharaoh, I could have, and it doesn't say it, but should have, already wiped you out, right? Um, I could have wiped you out, but I chose not to. I spared you because I wanted you to know my power, and I wanted my name to be known throughout the earth. So while I don't want to explain away the difficulty of the text, the actions of God, a God that is far bigger than my, my comprehension of his fullness and all his purpose and all uh, his plans in this world, while I don't want to explain away those questions, I do want to, to lead us to this, a God who continued to demonstrate mercy throughout, uh, uh, not not executing the full extent of the punishment that was deserved in this. Um, so God will, uh, in the next few plagues, he will rescue his people from oppression. He will punish an evil man and a nation uh, so that his name will be known throughout the world. Okay. So the seventh plague is hail. 
and um, a, a storm, lightning and, and rain and hail comes on the land and destroys all of the blooming crops, right? Just destroys um, houses and uh, uh, lives are lost, certainly of their livestock and, and, and people. Um, this incredible storm comes on the land. And Pharaoh responds in this way at, at, during the storm. He says, I have sinned this time. He says, this time I have sinned, okay? And, um, and he's so right. And so Moses cries back out to God and says, take it away. The storm stops. And the text says this, um, when he saw that the rain, lightning, and hail had stopped, he sinned again, hardening his heart. Right, a moment earlier he could acknowledge his sin. Have you ever felt this in life? It's only when the weight of my sin is affecting me. It's only when I'm experiencing consequences that I'm able to say, "Man, I've sinned." And in that very next moment, we find ourselves turning right back to our old ways. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's tragic in in my life when. Uh, when it comes to that point where I have to experience consequences and suffering to finally realize my position and place. Uh, and I pray that unlike Pharaoh, we be those people that learn from those lessons. We have, we have a police officer in the audience here today uh, who knows very well what happens when people have to experience the consequences, you know, of their actions, right? Uh, demeanors change, things change in us. But having experienced that in our lives, I pray we be people uh, who lead out in different ways because of that. Finally, uh, second to last, the locusts, uh, the eighth plague, uh, they come and, and they swarm the lands and eat what crops are left. Now this uh, plague I can relate to um, because I went to, I got my undergraduate degree in, um, in Abilene, Texas at Abilene Christian University. And uh, Abilene uh, has three major Christian universities there. It's really kind of just a college town, yet it's in the middle of nowhere. And I have no clue what anyone was thinking uh, of these major denominations in our nation uh, when they decided, yeah, we're going to put our school in Abilene, Texas. I don't know. But it's a thing. It happened. And the schools are there. And each year, uh, Brandon and Heidi, you might remember this, uh, there was a plague of grasshoppers uh, in Abilene. And um, I mean, literally, I remember walking to class, and as you walk, you are crunching both dead and live grasshoppers. They're everywhere. It's terrible. And you'll walk out of the dorms thinking there could be no worse smell than dirty socks in a guy's dorm room, right? And then find yourself just woefully wrong. The smell of these grasshoppers uh, rotting on the sidewalks and baking in the sun was absolutely atrocious. So I feel for the um, Egyptians here a little bit because I've experienced that plague in Abilene. I don't know why God is punishing a college town of Christian universities, but it's happening there. Um, so Pharaoh and his officials, they said to him, how long will you let this man be a snare to us, right? They experienced this plague of locusts, and, uh, and, and now his magicians have said, this is the hand of God, this is the finger of God, like God is at work in this, and he's more powerful than us. His officials are now coming to him and saying, um, how long are you going to let this go on? Our, our land has been ruined. Uh, do you not realize that Egypt is ruined, right? But Pharaoh is unrelenting. Pharaoh is a hard-hearted man uh, and chooses not 
to let the people go. And so the ninth plague, the final one that we'll talk about today, today, darkness fell over the land for three days. I remember a couple years ago, um, we uh, had a power outage, and how blessed are we that we can walk into a room, flip a switch, and have like perfect light, right? Uh, you realize that most of humanity throughout history has not had those sort of amenities. Uh, many people still today throughout the world don't have that opportunity. And when you're used to that, uh, you are grossly unprepared for when the power fails, right? Uh, you just aren't equipped to live in darkness. And this power outage happened to come on Halloween a few years ago. Yeah. And I think the only right conclusion is that that was God's punishment for an evil holiday, right? Now, that's kind of the perspective of the church. I was talking to Sally the other day, and she was telling us about this uh, church Halloween party. That's a little bit taboo already, right? A church Halloween party. Um, so they, they had to kind of put some parameters on it. So they said, okay, we'll have this Halloween party, but you can only dress up as characters in the Bible, right? That seemed really safe. Of course, her friend's uh, kids came dressed as Satan and a witch because they're in the Bible, right? <laughs> right. Love it. Um, I don't, I don't know why I went there. Uh, we were talking about darkness and Halloween. That's why I went there, okay? So darkness falls over the land. The, the final plague that we'll talk about today, Pharaoh's heart will not change, right? At this point, uh, he's experienced um, water turning to blood, the, flock, the frogs filling the land, gnats and flies, the death of the livestock, boils on the people and the animals, hailstorm, locusts, and darkness for days, and yet Pharaoh is unrelenting, hard-hearted. There's three main characters in the story. As I I wrap up, it's like, where do you draw a conclusion from that, right? That's kind of just a big mess of a story. And uh, and there's three main characters in here. There's Pharaoh, and I'll throw out this application. It's a pretty simple one. Don't be like him, right? I I think that's reasonable. Pharaoh is not the character we want to be more like in this text. Hard-hearted, unrelenting, unwilling to um, bend a knee to God's power demonstrated in his life. And then there's Moses. Let's shoot for that one. Be more like Moses, trusting in God, moving uh, in the directions he leads. And then finally, most importantly, there's God, the character of God in the text. A God who is faithful and steadfast, who will not give up on humanity, calling Abraham and a nation called Israel, who would, who would uh, be the conduit through which he would pour his blessings into the world, right? A faithful, uh, a steadfast God who continues to love, who frees his people from slavery, who, fr- who confronts evil in the world. And I want to invite us to this in the week to come. Let's lean into that God. Right? Let's lean into that understanding, a God who is loving and steadfast. Despite my circumstances and despite the challenges, when things are great, thank you, God, that you are loving. When things are not good, God, be my peace. God, be my safety. Right? Let's lean into a God who loves, who demonstrates his goodwill in this earth as he confronts evil in this text, a God who demonstrates love and and, and invites people to meaningful covenant relationship. That is your invitation today, to know this God, to walk with him, to walk in his ways, in the difficult times to lean upon him, and in the good times to thank him. This is the God that we serve today.
And let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for a time to be together. Father, I thank you for uh, your word, and, and even as challenging as this text is, Father, I don't fully understand the ways that you work or why or your timing and things. Father, I thank you that you are at work uh, in this text and the story of Egypt. And Father, uh, in our lives today, I thank you that you are at work. So Father, give me peace when I don't have answers. Uh, let me rest uh, and trust in you. And Father, allow me to see more of you. Uh, Father, I pray that this week, as we go out from here, uh, you will allow us to know your love, your steadfast love, and your faithfulness. I pray, Father, that we can see in the world around us and the interactions with people and the beautiful things that you have created, Father, your love and your steadfastness. I pray that you will help us to walk in that meaningful relationship with you that you have invited us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.